case you didn't notice, you've come on B-team Sunday. Both, uh, both Jake and Becky are taking well-deserved breaks, so you get the JV. And by that, I mean Jennifer Vinson. And then the junior varsity. So... Not only that, but it's only 12.20, so you may think you're going to get out early today. But au contraire. All right, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. And as we reread this, I want you to think about this. Paul is now, right, the, the way Paul's letters usually work is he lays out his theology, he lays out his truth first, and then he goes on to say, here's how you live in light of the truth. So here's what you believe, and here's what you live in light of what you believe. And so Paul is really beginning that section now, starting in verse 6. Before I read, let me pray. God in heaven, we thank you again for your grace, and now we thank you especially for the grace of your word, for these holy scriptures that you have spoken, you have written for our benefit, for your glory. God, I pray that as we hear, that we would listen. God, that our hearts would be impacted and changed by your truth. Help us to see and adore Christ, and live in light of Him. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen. May God bless the reading and now the hearing and preaching of his word. So if you were going to train to be a part of our nation's special forces or if you were going to be a helicopter pilot or a jet fighter pilot, and it was likely that you might fall behind enemy lines at some point, you would have to undergo survival and evasion training. Am I right, military guys, and so forth? 
Right? You would have to learn how to evade capture by the enemy in case you were stuck behind enemy lines. Okay? And that's exactly what Paul, or sort of what Paul, is going for here. He wants us to evade capture. He wants us to know. Remember, the Colossian church was in the position, they hadn't fallen prey to it yet, but there was rival teaching. There was teaching that was telling them to abandon Christ, to leave Christ, and move on to further spiritual experiences. Basically saying there's more that you need. And the same thing happens to us today. It's no different. All the time we hear voices. We hear uh, powers that tell us Jesus is all well and good, but there's more that you need. You're not full yet. You're not complete yet. And so Paul says, Paul is going to give us instructions on how to avoid, how to evade being captured by that lie. And actually, we're going to, over the next two weeks, verses 6 and 7, right? In verses 6 and 7, he lays out a truth that applies for the next two weeks. And so we're going to use this same truth again next week. But there, in, in verse, verses 6 and 7, he says, Just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. All right? Paul's not advocating anything new. He's not advocating any new spiritual regimen, any new knowledge that will give them access to higher planes of existence. He's actually recommending something old. He's saying that same truth that set you free in the beginning is the same truth that will keep you free now. The truth that sets you free, the Jesus that sets you free, is the Jesus that keeps you free. So walk in Him. Right, walk was used as a way of life. Your walk is your way of life. And what Paul is saying is, you began this journey in Jesus, and your only hope of continuing this journey is in Jesus. Look at the words he uses. Rooted, like a tree. Now, I'm no horticulturalist, but I'm pretty sure, and Gary's not here to verify I'm pretty sure that a tree without roots is not a whole lot, right? That if you kill the roots of a tree, you're going to kill the tree. I've done that. Um, I've, when we lived at the Kings, I tried to transplant a tree from one part of our yard to another, and I think it was dead as soon as my shovel hit the ground. So um, a tree without roots isn't much, right? And what Paul is saying is you are rooted in Christ. You have been built up like a, like a strong foundation, a strong house. You have been built up in him. You have been established in faith. All of these words are strong words, words about permanence. All of them are passive, things that God has done for you. You are rooted and built up and established in Christ. What Paul is trying to say is, what you've got is good. Don't go looking for more. You don't need something else. What you've got is good. What you've got is the best. Stay here. Who remembers uh, the story of Ulysses and the Sirens? Anybody read The Odyssey lately? Some of you, that's kicking you old school, way back to high school. Maybe you haven't picked up The Odyssey since then. Uh, But remember, right, Ulysses is a warrior, and he's on his way home to his home, the island of Ithaca, and he has to go through several challenges to get there. And one of those challenges, they're on a boat, he's got a crew, his men with him, they have to pass by... Uh, the island where the sirens are. 
right in the silent sirens were these deceptive creatures. And what they would do is they would sing a very beautiful song. And they would lure the sailors into the island. And as soon as the sailors got there, they would kill them. They would eat them. They would destroy them. Right. So what sounded really beautiful meant death when you got close. And so here's what Ulysses did. All of his men, they had wax, and they stuck that in their ears so they wouldn't be able to hear the siren song. But Ulysses had himself tied to the mast of the ship because that thing wasn't going anywhere. He had his men bind him to the mast so that when he heard the song, he would be unable to go to it. Right. In a similar fashion, Paul is telling us to lash ourselves to the rock, to tie ourselves to Jesus. He's not going anywhere. And maybe a better illustration, another, another myth, another Greek myth is of Jason and the Argonauts. They also had to sail past the sirens. But what Jason had was a guy named Orpheus. And Orpheus's job, he was, a, he was a musician, his job was to play a more beautiful song than the song of the sirens. And as long as the men listened to Orpheus's song, they were not deceived by the song of the sirens. So in another sense, Paul's saying, you've got the beautiful music already. You already have the best. Don't go looking for what what will kill you. Don't go looking for the empty lie, right? Don't be fooled by the siren song. Tie yourselves to the rock. Listen to the beautiful music that Jesus has. But what's the danger, right? What, and the danger is this, that what the enemy offers is empty. It's a lie, right? Look at verse 8. Paul tells him to beware, to look out. The danger is being captured, being capt- captivated, by a philosophy that's empty and deceitful. Just like the siren song, it sounds good, it sounds beautiful, but it's empty, it's hollow, it doesn't promise, it's, or it, it promises a lot and never delivers. Now, we don't know exactly what, what it was the Colossians were facing. It's probably a mixture of some Jewish religion with pagan practices. We don't really know. Um, The teachers tried to make it sound good, right? They called it a philosophy. They called it a tradition. It was according to the traditions of men. All those words were used to say, hey, this is something worth your hearing. This is something noble and good. And Paul turns those words around. He says it's an empty philosophy. We've got something better than the tradition of men. But he also says it's according to the elemental spirits of the universe. And what those are this range of lesser spiritual beings, right, who were in control of different parts of the universe. And they stood between you and God. And so what you had to do was worship in a certain way or live in a certain way to placate them so that you could have access to God himself. And so these false teachers would say, here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to live. Here's how you need to worship so that you don't have to worry about the spiritual elements of the universe, the 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 powers, the authorities, and the rulers, as Paul will call them in a few verses. Now, that sounds really weird to us. That sounds foreign and odd. But I believe they're still there. We just have different names for them. Right? We, 
We still have those, those powers that seek to oppress and bully us. That what, what, do you, what do you think the rulers and authorities of our universe are? Right? What, what are those powers that seek to oppress us, uh, that want to rule over us? Materialism? Right? If, if, whether you have money or you don't have money, if you're controlled by materialism... You always want more. You're always thinking about what you don't have. Right? We're guilty of that. We can be captured by that. We'll, we'll sell our souls to get more. I mean, every ad is based on the power of materialism. Every advertisement we see, you, you need this. You're not complete without this. Right? Politics is a big one right now. It's an election year. I have no doubt that that's an arena where the rulers and authorities are at work, people selling themselves for an ideology that will fade away. Right? Republicans and Democrats won't matter when Jesus comes back. What matters is the truth. But we will do all that we have. We, we, are, we will be prone to think, okay, if, if this guy gets in office then all will be right with the universe. If this guy gets in office, everything will be set right. Everything will be made better. Everything will be made perfect. And we believe a lie, and we're taken captive by it. Or, what about love? Love and the need for approval, the need for respect, the need to be wanted. Is that something that rules your life? We spend hours worrying about our appearance, working on our appearance so that others will approve of us, so that others will want us. We spend hours more fretting about not being wanted, not being loved, what we can do to manipulate people, manipulate ourselves so that we can get what we want. Some of us will trade away all that we have just for approval, just to be loved. Those are very generic examples. I don't know what they are in your life. All of those in some way or another are convicting to me. But let there be no doubt about it. We can fall prey. We can be captured by empty lies, by deceitful philosophies that look to pull us away from Jesus, that look to say, you're not finished yet. You're not complete yet. There's more that you need. Jesus is only kind of a good start. You need more. And Paul wants us to hear, no. All that they offer is empty. All that they offer is a lie. And he does that by doing something really cool. He counters with, in a sense, a list of things that we have. If what they have is empty, if what they have is a lie, what you have is so much better. So he doesn't spend much time at all disparaging what they're offering. He spends more time talking about the glories that are available to you in Jesus. He he spends more time talking about all that Jesus has. And he goes through four things. I'm going to try and uh, use the, the PowerPoint. That phrase, in Christ or in him or with him, runs through this whole section. And the point is this, right? That by myself, apart from Christ, 
I got nothing. I don't have salvation. I don't have any blessings. I don't have any rewards. Apart from Christ, I am nothing and I have nothing. So we need to understand that as Christians, everything we have only comes to us in relationship to Christ. It's a big deal for Paul. Right? The fancy phrase that theologians use is union with Christ. Your union with Christ is everything. And if you're not united to Christ, you got nothing. Except maybe your good looks. All right? So, let's see what some of these benefits are, what some of these blessings are of union with Christ. The first one is, in Christ, you have the fullness of God himself. Think about what they were being offered. Think about what you were being offered. That there are these lesser spiritual beings in control of the universe, and you've got to placate them in order to get to God. Paul says, you've already got him. In Christ, you have the fullness of deity dwelling in flesh. And what's more than that, right, he is not an empty promise, and you're not empty either. Because he goes on to say in verse 10, you are filled in him. And it was probably an offer of the, of the false teachers in Colossae that, that these people would be, if they, if they followed this regimen, they would be filled up. They would have fullness. And Paul says, you've already got it. It's not just out of your grasp. You've grasped it already, or better yet, it's been grasped for you. You have fullness in Jesus. The fullness of salvation you have in Jesus. And he's the head. He's the chief. He's the ruler of all of these authorities and powers. He's their king. They don't like it, but he's over them. He's not some minor deity. And so what that means for you and for me is that we don't need more than one king. We don't need more than one ruler. So look at your life. Look at those powers that oppress you. Those things that, that ask of you, ask, ask your devotion of you. And preach this to yourself. Jesus is my king. Jesus is my king, not, not you. Jesus, Jesus is king over my finances, over, over what wealth I have, be it little or much. Jesus is king over my fear. Jesus is king over my pain, over my family, over my love and my desires for love. Those things don't rule me. They have no power over me because Jesus is king and I have him. But he goes on in the next couple of verses and tells us that in Christ we have a new life. Right? And all of these verses about circumcision and baptism, as confusing as they may be, their main point is this. You have died, you have been buried, and you have risen again. All because Jesus has done those things. Jesus' death for sin is your death to sin. Jesus' burial, the symbol of the old life being over, is your burial. Your old life is gone. Your old life is buried. And Jesus' new life, his resurrection life, well, that's your resurrection. And it's in the future, but now. Paul's talking about this like it's a, it's a finished deal. We have new life now. I meant to bring the the bulletin up with me on the front 
it says something about the unraveling will end. Am I right? I like that quote. Um, what Paul is telling the Colossians is that at some level the unraveling has already ended. That, that your life, if you think it's unraveling, the renewal has already begun. You already have a new life. It's not finished yet. It's not complete yet. It will be when Christ returns. Uh, a good example of this, I think, is Joni Erickson Tata. Some of you may be familiar with her story, but at the age of 17, she was in a diving accident and was a, became a, a quadriplegic. She was confined to a wheelchair. She lost the use of her legs and of her hands. But despite what her body told her, by the way, she is also, she's also battled cancer in recent years. Um, and she has dedicated her life to ministering, ministering to and serving people with disabilities. Why? Because despite what her broken and failing body is telling her, she knows that she has a new life. That whether she dies or Jesus returns, she has a new life and a new purpose because of what he has already done. She doesn't have to look at the wheelchair. She doesn't have to, to look at the cancer results. Those aren't lured over her life because she has a new life in Christ. And that means she can spend it for people. She can spend it so that they'll know Jesus too, so that they have a new life. Joni Erickson Tata knows that the renewal has already begun. And if you're a Christian, the renewal has already begun in you as well. Our identity is secure in Christ because we have a new life. We have a new identity, and it's His. Baptism, circumcision, those are all about initiation into a group. right? And it may be that this, these teachers were telling these people, you can do these things to be a part of this group. And what Paul is saying to them, you're already a member of the only group that matters. You've already been initiated. Your identity is secure. Don't look for another one. Third, in Christ, we are fully forgiven. Paul says in verse 13, what we were, we were dead in our trespasses, our intentional sins. We were dead in our, our spiritual state of uncircumcision. Sin defined what we did and who we were. But hear the gospel. God made us alive. Don't miss that. God made us alive in Christ. How did he do it? By taking that record of debt that stood against us and nailing it to the cross. I love what this commentator said. He says, God not only removed the debt, but also destroyed the document on which it was written. God not only removed the debt, but he destroyed the document on which it was written. Imagine that you bought a house on Friday, a lot of house with a big mortgage, so you're in debt, and you go to take your mortgage payment to the bank on Monday, and they say, we don't need that. And you say, well, no, I've got a, I've got a debt, I've got a house, I, I need to pay you for it. 
And they say, no, we, we don't have any record of that. The house is yours. That's what Jesus has done. But on a much greater scale. Because that record of debt that stood against you and me meant our death. But Jesus took that death and he put it to death. In his death. He took that record and he nailed it to the cross so that we would have nothing to fear. Right? So what that means for you and me is that there is no record that stands against us. When those powers come against you, when Satan comes against you, when your flesh comes against you and says, you really don't have it all together. There's, there's more you ought to do to, to make yourself pretty before God. There's more you ought to do to be a complete person. You can preach to them and to yourself, I am fully and completely forgiven. There is no record that stands against me. And then finally, <clears throat> in Christ, our enemies have been defeated. They have been put to shame by Jesus. Right? That's what those, those words that Paul uses really talk about being put to shame, being exposed for weakness. I think of what Usain Bolt in the Olympics was able to do to most of his competitors, right? When he would torch the rest of the, the field by being so far out in front. And of course, then he proceeded to trash talk as well, right? He put them to open shame by talking about how great he was, how much of a legend he will be. Now, the difference between Bolt and Jesus is that uh, Bolt's legend will fade, and Jesus' never will. Jesus is the true king, right? And he leads, he has conquered his enemies, and he leads them in triumphal procession, right? When kings would be victorious, they would come home to their cities, and they would march through the city in a big party. We do it for the World Series, folks, now. We have ticker tape parades. We did it at World War II when the veterans came home. We had huge parades. We celebrate victory. And sometimes the enemies, the captives, would be led in that train as well so that they would be exposed, so that they would be shamed. Jesus says, or Paul says, that's what Jesus has done. And his point is this, that all those things they want you to worship and all those powers that you're prone to give your devotion to, they are nothing. Jesus has trumped them. They're nothing to, to them and they should be nothing to us. Our enemies have been defeated. We have no need to fear. So in light of all that we have, in light of all that Jesus has done for us, we can avoid, we can not be captured. We cannot be deceived by empty philosophy, by deceitful, empty teaching. Derek Webb is a, a Christian artist, and he has a song, the name of which I can't remember. Uh, it's on his album, She Must and Shall Go Free, which is about the church. But in there, the, the chorus of one of those songs is it's Jesus talking to his church. And the tone of the song really fits Galatians more than Colossians, but the message is similar. He says, Beloved, listen to me. Don't believe all that you see. And don't you ever let anyone tell you that there's anything that you need 
but me. Christian, that we would believe that. That we would believe and hold to that. We would not be captured. That we would evade capture if we believed that our all was in Jesus. And if you're here this morning and, and you can't say those things, you can't look at this list of four things behind me and say, I don't know that I possess those spiritual blessings. I don't know that I believe those truths. I invite you to hear the gospel again. The record of debt has been canceled. Jesus gives new life to those who trust in him. And I would urge you to trust in Jesus. He is the fullness. Everything else you believe, everything else is a siren song. It promises much, but it delivers very little. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the hope we have in Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you that, that you accomplished the victory that we could not accomplish for ourselves. That you have nailed our record to the cross. You have given us new life in your life. That we have died to the old life. Father, teach us what it means to live in freedom, not in fear. Help us to know what it means to have you as our king so that we would not fear all the other rivals out there that promise so much but offer only death. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.